Section 16 of The Romance of Polar Exploration. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. The Romance of Polar Exploration by G. Firth Scott. Chapter 13. The Antarctic Region. While the desire to penetrate into the mysteries of the North held the mind of mankind from the earliest times, the very existence of a similar world of ice at the opposite pole was undreamed of until a few centuries back. At the time when the world was generally held to be a flat disk, this is not to be wondered at, seeing that there could only be one other side possible under that belief, and that side is the underworld, into which it was not desirable that human beings should ever penetrate. But the time came when the world was demonstrated to be a sphere, and the more thoughtful of men realized the necessity of having some theory wherewith to explain what form the world would take at the opposite pole to the north. The theory which found most general acceptance was that which contended for a similar distribution of sea and land at the south as it was currently supposed to exist at the north pole. It was argued that only by such a distribution could the balance of the earth be maintained. Nor did the theorists stop there. The ancient geographers delighted their hearts by imagining a southern division of land and sea inhabited by identical animals, covered with the same kind of verdure and plants, and occupied by similar races of men to the north. In the absence of any evidence to contradict it, this theory held for many years. In the Middle Ages, when the Portuguese and Spaniards were sailing from sea to sea, and later when their successors, the Dutch, roamed the ocean, carrying their flags to the east and the west, none seemed to have penetrated into the ice-bound regions of the south. The Cape of Good Hope was doubled, Cape Horn was sailed around, Australia was located, and even the south of Tasmania was visited, but further south the world was still unknown. The explanation of this may be found in the fact that in southern latitudes the drift of ice is very much further away from the pole than is the case in the north. In the northern hemisphere, massive ice flows are not encountered until the 70th parallel of latitude has been passed, while it is not until the 75th parallel is passed that the ice becomes so packed so as to appear to be stationary. In the southern latitudes, on the other hand, drift ice is encountered in the 50th parallel, and by the time the 60th parallel is reached, the ice is found to be as close set as it is in the 80th parallel in the north. In the islands of Tierra del Fuego, the mountains remain covered with snow down to the water's edge through all the summer months, though the latitude is only 54 degrees south. This may be due in a large measure to the small quantity of land existing in the south, as compared with the north. The heat of the sun does not radiate from the sun with the same intensity as it does from the earth, whence the ice, drifting from the south into the oceans nearer the equator, melts more slowly and is consequently enabled to travel longer distances, thus lowering the temperature of the surrounding atmosphere and still further delaying the melting process. At a comparatively recent period, the limit of the flows in the southern oceans was much nearer the equator than it is today, for the most southerly parts of Africa, Australia, and America all show unmistakable evidences of having, within recent times, been under a great ice covering. 
it was not until sixteen hundred that the first contact was made with the southern world of ice dirk geritz a dutch navigator sailing with a squadron for the east indies was separated from his other ships while passing through the straits of magellan and was driven as far as sixty-four degrees south he discovered in that latitude a rocky coastline covered with snow the discovery did not excite any great interest at that time and for a period of nearly two centuries nothing was done to probe further into the mysteries of the south in seventeen sixty nine an expedition was sent out under captain kerguelen to explore the regions lying to the south of the cape of good hope he was successful in locating the group of islands still known as kerguelen islands and sailed thence to australia demonstrating that no land other than these lands existed between the cape of good hope and australia in seventeen seventy two captain cook who had already done so much to reveal the southern hemisphere to the knowledge of men left the cape of good hope with two ships the resolution and the adventure in search of the continent believed to exist somewhere beyond the regions hitherto visited in forty eight degrees forty one minutes southern latitude and eighteen degrees twenty-four minutes eastern longitude a sudden fall in the temperature from sixty-seven degrees to thirty-eight degrees fahrenheit was experienced on the following day an iceberg fifty feet in height and nearly half a mile in length was sighted the course was continued to the south but the third day after sighting the first iceberg the sea had become so full of ice that no further progress to the south was possible although the latitude was only fifty-four degrees fifty minutes south the corresponding latitude in the northern hemisphere being that of the city of hull skirting the ice packs and working always to the southward the vessels managed to reach fifty-five degrees sixteen minutes south during the next three days some few seals penguins and other birds being seen on the floating ice as the ships passed the temperature was never above freezing the sails were frozen and the rigging covered with icicles the fact that the ice was found to be composed of fresh water convinced cook that there must be land still further to the south lying behind the ice floes he therefore kept on to the east always sailing as far to the south as the line of the ice permitted in reality he was sailing round the antarctic from west to east skirting along the ice limit in january seventeen seventy three the vessels were in sixty nine degrees south and one hundred and thirty nine degrees eastern longitude a month later he was nearly five hundred miles in the south of the course tasman had sailed when he discovered tasmania but still no land was seen amongst the ice this being the summer season in the southern hemisphere it was necessary to seek winter quarters to the north if the ships were to escape imprisonment in the ice for the season after a winter passed in the pacific ocean captain cook took his ships again to the south towards the end of the year and by january the thirtieth seventeen seventy four they were in seventy one degrees ten minutes southern latitude and one hundred and six degrees fifty four minutes western longitude Further progress to the south was barred by a line of high ice cliffs. Describing the circumstances, Captain Cook wrote, At four o'clock a.m. we perceived the clouds over the horizon to the south to be of an unusual snow-white brightness, which we knew announced our approach to field ice. Soon after, it was seen from the topmast head, and at eight o'clock we were close to its edge. It extended east and west, far beyond the reach of our sight. 
in the situation we were in just the southern half of our horizon was illuminated by the rays of light reflected from the ice to a considerable height ninety-seven ice hills were distinctly seen within the ice-field besides those on the outside many of them were large and looking like a ridge of mountains rising one above another till they were lost in the clouds the outer or northern edge of this immense field was composed of loose or broken ice close packed together so that it was not possible for anything to enter it this was about a mile broad within which was solid ice in one continued compact body it was rather low and flat except the hills but seemed to increase in height as you traced it to the south in which direction it extended beyond our sight i who had ambition not only to go further than any one had gone before but as far as it was possible for men to go was not sorry at meeting with this interruption as in some measures it relieved us at least shortened the dangers and hardships inseparable from the navigation of the southern polar regions returning again to the pacific in order that his men might recuperate from their hardships in the ice region captain cook made a third attack upon the antarctic problem the following year seventeen seventy five when he sailed to the south along the twenty-seventh meridian of west longitude in latitude fifty-nine degrees south three rocky islets were discovered they rose to a considerable height one of them terminating in a lofty peak shaped like a sugar-loaf to which the name of Friesland Point was given, not as it might very well have been in description of the land itself, but after the men who first sighted it. Far to the east of this peak there appeared a long coastline with lofty snow-capped mountains, the summits often rising higher than the clouds. To the extremity of this coast the name of Cape Bristol was given. Land sighted still more to the south was named Southern Thule as there appeared to be more probability of success being won on this voyage the ships proceeded to explore the seas in the neighbourhood of these new lands but a repetition of the trials and difficulties met in the previous years brought the hopes to naught whichever way they sailed they encountered ice either in massive bergs or lines of cliffs miles in length on february the sixth seventeen seventy five the cold hostility of the region daunted even the brave heart of captain cook he decided to turn back writing in his log the risk one runs in exploring a coast in these unknown and icy seas is so great that i can be bold enough to say that no man will ever venture further than i have done and that the lands which lie to the south will never be explored modern achievement in the antarctic regions forms a curious commentary on this outspoken opinion of so intrepid an explorer as the man who laid the great island continent of australia open for the colonization of the british but for the time being the opinion ranked sufficiently with the authorities to put an end to all attempts to solve the mystery of the antarctic years passed without anything being done to penetrate into the unknown until in eighteen nineteen captain william smith commanding a brig william on a voyage from montevideo to valparaiso was driven as far to the south as sixty two degrees thirty minutes in which latitude and longitude seventy degrees west he discovered a group of islands and named them the south shetlands the discovery was reported to the commander of h m s andromache who at once sailed to the locality and further explored the islands 
these were found to be a scattered group lying between sixty one and sixty three degrees south consisting of twelve fairly large isles and a number of small rocky islets several of the isles were mountainous and one peak was observed which was estimated to be two thousand five hundred feet high beyond this brief expedition nothing was done by the navy but during the next few years a considerable amount of knowledge was gained by whaling captains who penetrated further to the south amongst others powell in eighteen twenty one discovered land to the south of the south shetlands naming it trinity land while palmer an american skipper sailed along a coast to which he gave the name palmer's land a russian navigator bellinghausen exploring to the south and west of the south shetlands located alexander's land still more to the south than palmer's land these repeated additions to the general knowledge gradually discredited captain cook's assertion the newly opened areas were found to be replete with whales seals and other commercially valuable animals and ships of the mercantile marine continued to push nearer and nearer the pole in eighteen twenty two a firm of traders sent out two vessels to the antarctic under the command of captain weddell after whom the great antarctic seal is named the vessels were small ships in comparison with the modern build one the larger was the jane a brig of one hundred and sixty tons and the other a cutter the beaufoy sixty five tons as captain weddell had already done much geographical service in the south his employers instructed him to do all he could to discover fresh lands and to penetrate as far into the ice to the south as was possible he succeeded so well in carrying out the latter part of his instruction that on february twenty eighth eighteen twenty three he carried the flag to seventy four degrees one minute south for some years nothing more of the note was done but in eighteen thirty one captain biscoe on board the brig tula located land named enderby's land after his employers in sixty five degrees fifty seven minutes southern latitude and forty seven degrees twenty minutes eastern longitude wind and storms intervening he was unable to do more than identify one promontory which he named cape anne the year following biscoe added to his record the discovery of adelaide island graham's land and a range of mountains he named after himself biscoe's range he landed on the newly discovered territory on the twenty first of february eighteen thirty two and took possession of it in the name of great britain seven years later on board the eliza scott biscoe found an island in sixty six degrees forty four minutes southern latitude and one hundred and sixty five degrees forty five minutes eastern longitude the shores of which were so precipitous that no landing could be effected describing it he wrote but for the bare rocks from where the iceberg had broken we should scarcely have known it for land but as we stood in for it we plainly perceived smoke arising from the mountain tops it is evidently volcanic as specimens of stones or rather cinders will prove two years earlier the french government had taken up the work of british government had neglected from the time of captain cook's condemnation and had dispatched two ships the astrolabe and the zele to try and get into higher latitudes than those reached by weddell the government of the united states also sent out vessels to continue the work already so successfully done by american whaling skippers the voyages did not add materially to the discovery of land although some valuable scientific facts were observed and recorded 
the british government then bestirred itself and two ships the erebus and terror were placed under the command of sir james c ross with captain crozier as second in command to proceed to the antarctic regions and explore them End of section 16